Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for these stories that lead and guide and shape our lives. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your spirit who, who brings us closer to you. We ask that today as we read and we hear your word proclaimed that you would speak to each one of us according to how we need to hear from you today. We pray this in your name. Amen. So we've been working through the first few chapters of the book of Joshua the last few weeks. I want to start by reviewing where we've been, and then we'll read our text for today. So we start with Joshua 1, and the people are to the east of the Jordan River, and the book of Joshua opens with the Lord coming to the people and renewing their relationship, saying, you are my people, now follow me. And the people respond by saying, yes, we'll follow you. And then in chapter 2, we have this trip to Jericho that a couple of spies from the people of Israel go to Jericho and they find out that the Lord has prepared a way for them to, to conquer the promised land, but also the Lord has prepared a way to draw some of the outsiders into his people. And then we go back and in Joshua 3 and 4, we see God miraculously open up the Jordan River at its flood stage with with what, with, what, with what would have been impossible for the people to cross on their own, God just picks up the water and throws it upstream, and the people are able to cross and enter the promised land. And then as we saw last week, when the people entered the promised land, the first thing they did was stop and again renew their relationship and celebrate that the Lord is with them and they are with Him. And that brings us now to our text for today. This is another text, another story where the people are between the Jordan River and the city of Jericho. They are in the promised land, but just on the edge of it. Now let's read Joshua 5:13 to 6:5. Hear the word of the Lord for us today. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. And then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them, sound a long blast on the trumpets. Have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse, and all the people will go up, every man straight in. This is the word of the Lord. So I'm going to start the sermon this morning with, I guess you could call it a test, but it's really more of a riddle. And I recognize this is going to stretch you a little bit, but I invite you to be just a little bit stretched. So I'm going to say one word. Just one word, and there is a right answer to this word. If you know the right answer, when I say the word, I want you just to shout it out. Does this make sense to everybody? Here comes the riddle. Flash. Let's try that again. Flash. Thunder. All right. Now let me give you a little bit of a hint of where I'm going with this. It's June 1944, and it's dark. 
Now, if you're a history buff, you'll recognize that I've just brought you to shortly after D-Day, and a a bunch of paratroopers, thousands of paratroopers are dropped into France at night, and they need a code so they can recognize each other in the dark. And the code is flash. And the response that I heard a few of you say is thunder. So if you're in Normandy or you're in France that night of D-Day and you hear rustling in the trees, you would say flash. And you would hope the response was thunder. It was a sign and a countersign. And if the response wasn't thunder, then you had a problem of some sort on your hands. Flash, thunder, flash, thunder. There it goes. And that's what Joshua is doing here in chapter 5, verse 13. He is giving the Israel equivalent of flash. He's saying, I'm on this side. What side are you on? He's giving this challenge. What side are you on? Because he's encountered this stranger. And at this point, Joshua and the Israelites are are in a rather vulnerable, vulnerable position. They're across the river... They're across this river that was in flood stage, that was hundreds of yards across and deeply treacherous, but but after they came across, God let the river flow back. So they have no retreat. And they're looking forward to this fortified city of Jericho, but, but it's still there and the gates are shut. They're in a really vulnerable military position and the only way forward is to fight. But they're in a place where any stranger is a threat. And so the moment that Joshua encounters this stranger near Jericho, and we don't think Joshua was like right next to Jericho, but he was sort of on the plane leading up to Jericho. And so naturally, when he encounters this armed man, he says, whose side are you on? Are you for us or are you for our enemies? And at the moment, that seems like a really important question. It's probably the question all of us would be asking in Joshua's position, but it's the wrong question. And actually, it's the right question, but it's the wrong person who's asking it. And the man's answer should surprise us. Again, we're between the Jordan and Jericho. There is no neutral ground here. This is a war zone. And what does the stranger reply? Are you for me or for my enemies? And the stranger replies, neither. That should not be an available category. He shouldn't be able to say that here and now. But then he continues, Neither, but as commander of the army of the Lord I have come. I am not on your side, but I am here. I am not on your side, but I am here. Now, there are some signs in this text and some, some debate. We, are, we aren't 100% sure, but it does seem like this commander of the Lord's army is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Joshua falls down and worships him in just a couple of verses, and he isn't rebuked. There's some particular words like that. He appears with a drawn sword that, that really are only used on occasions in the Old Testament when it seems like the Old Testament is pointing us to Jesus. So this is God himself appearing. And it's, it's significant that this, this happens here and now, and, and the Bible wants us to read it forwards and backwards. So for the original audience and for us, there are a couple other stories that should jump to mind right now. And one of them is the story of Jacob before the fords of Peniel, when he sends his family across, and then he is alone by the side of the river, and this stranger comes to him. And as it turns out, that stranger is the Lord. 
And Jacob's response is, is to wrestle with the Lord all night long. And then in what's probably a better-known story, the Lord comes to Moses in a burning bush, and, and the Lord speaks to Moses on that occasion. And now we come to Joshua chapter 5, and the Lord appears to Joshua, and he says to Joshua, and the message is, is really important here. He says, I am not on your side. I am not on your side. And actually, the question that is implied there from from the Lord, from the commander of the army of the Lord, is a question to Joshua. The spotlight should not be on this stranger, on the one who we find out is the Lord. It should be facing Joshua. And the question that is asked by the Lord is, whose side are you on? And that is the right question for us today, too. We are tempted to go to the Lord and put a spotlight on him and say, are you on my side? And in fact, what should happen is the Lord comes to us and he puts a spotlight on us and he asks us, are you on my side? Now, it's been an election week, so we're going to talk politics for a moment, but we could talk any area of life. And whether we are left, center, or right, whether we're Democrat or independent or Republican, there is a perpetual temptation in politics. And this is not unique to our time. It's not unique to America. But there is a perpetual temptation for Christians when it comes to politics to make the Lord serve our politics. There is a perpetual temptation for us to come to the Lord and say, are you on my side? And let me propose this to you. The Lord is never on our side. The King and Lord of the universe is never on our side. And what I mean by that is that we are never in control of God. And so if we come assuming that the Lord is on our side, or, or if heaven forbid we come and we ask God, are you on my side or not? If we do that, we are asking the wrong question. And the right question for us to be always asking ourselves is whether we are on God's side. We need always to be open to being corrected. We need always to be asking not, am I getting what I want or is God supportive of what I want? But instead to ask, am I supportive of what God wants? Joshua here models exactly the correct answer for us. And his response to the Lord is, what message do you have for me? Joshua asks, whose side are you on? And Jesus responds, neither. I'm on my own side. Whose side are you on? And what Joshua does is, well, first let's think about what Joshua could do. He could start yelling and screaming. He could say, you brought us across the Jordan River. You put me in charge of this people. You did all this, and now you tell me you weren't on my side? Joshua could bluster and fuss, but he doesn't do that. And let's, let's go back to, to Jacob and to Moses. And what Jacob does when the Lord comes to him is Jacob grabs hold of God and he wrestles with him and he battles him and he fights him all night long because Jacob wants his way. And what does Moses do when the Lord comes to him in the burning bush? Well, Moses doesn't fight, but, but he keeps backing away. No, 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 don't send me. I've got a good career going with the sheep. Send somebody else. No, 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 I'm not. Don't, no, 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 no. Jacob fights. Moses makes excuses. What does Joshua do? 
Joshua falls down in worship, and then he says, what do you have to tell me? What message do you have for me? Tell me what to do. And this, brothers and sisters, is a picture of the Christian life. God comes to us. We listen, and we obey. So I want to offer you two challenges this morning. First, first probably the less important one, but let's get political again for a moment. And I'd like to ask you to reflect on what shapes your politics. What is discipling you in terms of your approach to politics? Is it Fox News? Is it CNN? Is it Facebook? Is it TikTok? Is it YouTube? What is shaping your view of the policies of our nation? And is it Christ? Now, I am not advocating that we all step back from politics. I think Christians should be deeply, passionately involved in the right policies for our nation and advocating for them. But what I want you to ask yourself is what is shaping you? What voices are you really listening to? Where are your views coming from? So that's the political question. But now I want to step back and, and ask a whole life question. Do you really want to hear God's message to you? Do you really want to hear God's message to you? When you encounter the Lord, do you come like Jacob and wrestle with God and try to beat him down and try to get your way? When you hear God's message, do you come like Moses and, and back off and, and try to apply it to other people and, and hide behind other things and just, just not, not get involved? Or when you hear God's message, do you throw yourself flat on your face and say, God, what do you have for me? The most important thing in our Christian lives, I think, is the gospel of Jesus Christ come, died, resurrected, giving us new life. But I think in this particular time and place, the second most important question for us might be, do we try to get God on our side? Or do we listen to the message that God has for us? There are a thousand voices out there, and they will tell you whatever you want to hear. You can run out here or there or anywhere and find what you want to hear. And to be honest with you, far too often, that's what most of us do, even when it comes to matters of our faith. But what we need to do is come to the Lord and say, give me your message. Give me your message. And even if I don't like it, even if I don't understand it, even if it's not what I would pick, give me your message because I know that your message is good. Are you listening for God's message? Are you really putting yourself flat on your face before the Lord and listening to what He has to say? And if you want to know what God has to say, it's in this book. It's in this book. And so the way that we follow Joshua in asking what message do you have for me, Lord, is to be deeper into this book. We have a, a ministry pathway, a process that we're working on this year called Wider and Wiser in the Word. We're going to have a Bible reading program coming up. We're going to have some, some sermons specifically focused on the Bible and how we read God's Word well. 
But all of that is really just an invitation for you to join with Joshua and to join with God's people and to, to sit down before the Lord and say, Lord, speak to me. And Lord, speak to me not what I want to hear. Lord, speak to me not what is comfortable or convenient, but Lord, speak to me what is your truth and your will. Joshua does that. And then a really funny thing, a really unexpected thing happens here in the book of Joshua. You see, when we go to the Lord and we open ourselves up and we say, Lord, give me your message, I think what's in the back of a lot of our minds is, and I'm not going to like it, because we expect that if if God really is going to speak to us, he's going to yell at us, or he's going to tell us to give up what's most important to us, or he's going to ask us to do something crazy like move to Africa or something. We are scared to really hear God's message. But now here in Joshua, let's see what message the Lord gives to his servant. And the message the Lord gives is this. We're going to win. We're going to win. Joshua plants himself before the Lord, and the Lord says, here's my message. We're going to win. See, I've already delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and all its fighting men. This has been a long trip around for Joshua, but now, now once he has pledged to listen to the Lord, the Lord says, I'm going to give you exactly what you would have asked for and even more. Joshua could not have asked for a better message than this. You will conquer. And then the Lord gives a plan, and we'll, we'll dig more into this this next week, but what the Lord gives Joshua is not a military plan. What the Lord gives Joshua is not a strategy What the Lord gives Joshua is a church bulletin. What the Lord gives Joshua is an order of worship. Get the horns together and process around together and and sing and yell and make, make noises of praise to me. And then the city will fall. You aren't even really going to have to fight. The battle is already won. In fact, the battle will be a celebration. Not because of what you do, Joshua, but because of what the army of the Lord will do. Let's go back to World War II for a moment. We're going to talk a little bit about what's probably a classic movie now, but Saving Private Ryan. I'm not going to get into all the details of the movie, but there is a part toward the end where, where a number of American soldiers have to hold a bridge against the Nazis. They have to hold the bridge, and they can't. They get gunned down. They get pushed back and back and back and back. And finally, toward the end of the movie, defeat is imminent. The the leader of these soldiers, Captain John Miller, is lying wounded on one end of the bridge, and the Nazi tanks are starting to come over it. All is lost. And as he's laying there wounded, John Miller takes out his pistol, and he starts shooting at the tank, because what else is he going to do? And he shoots. Ping! Ping! And he shoots again, ping, and he shoots again, ping, and he shoots again, boom, and the tank blows up. And there's this dramatic pause as you, as you try to think, how did that pistol bullet blow up the tank? And then along with Captain Miller, we hear the whine and the buzz of propeller planes, and, and we see planes pass overhead, and then all the tanks in the row blow up. Boom, 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 boom. And American reinforcements arrive and they come dashing across the bridge and they push the Nazis back and back and back and back. And that that is the story of the world. 
And that is the story of Joshua. What the Lord gives here is a message of victory. And as we see next week, the Lord is good on His Word. And this is the Christian story that that we have been delivered, that the Lord is coming, that Jesus in His death and resurrection opened the way for victory. Jesus' death assures us that we will win. And we we don't see the final victory yet in this life, but we begin to see it. We see Jesus having defeated death. We see in our lives so many ways that God is good. But remember how these steps go that we see here in Joshua. When Joshua asked the Lord, what side are you on? The answer is not, oh, I'm on your side. The answer is, in fact, I am not on your side. Are you on mine? And when Joshua lays his life down before the Lord and says, yes, I am on your side, tell me what you will, well, then it turns out that all along the Lord actually is on our side. He is not on our side in the sense we get to boss him around or tell him what to do or or direct his path, but he is on our side in the sense that he is with us and for us. As we have said this morning, the Lord is our living hope. The Lord is our only comfort in life and in death. We do have a blessed assurance that that Jesus is ours because we are His. And so no matter what life looks like right now, if we hold on to Jesus, we win. That is the message. We are going to win. So let me invite you this morning to ask yourself if you are really on God's side. Are you really on God's side? Is there anything that you're holding back and saying, no, God, it has to be my way here? Or have you said, Lord, it's all yours? And are you really asking the Lord to speak to you? And are you really investing your life in hearing God's message? Are you on the Lord's side? Are you listening to his message? But finally this morning, not a question, but an assurance. Be comforted. Be comforted because the Lord promises us victory. The journey may be hard, the battle may be long, but just like Jericho fell, all the forces of evil will fall and we will win in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we want the victory. We desperately want the victory. But so often as we come to you and encounter you, we want the victory on our terms, in our ways, and we want our victory. And Father, we pray that you, both firmly and gently, help us to recognize this as a moment when we are invited to let go of our side and to join your side. Father, help all of us to, like Joshua, fall down before you in reverence and say, what would you have me do, O Lord? Lord, we ask that you give us hearts of obedience. And Father, we pray too that you do give us the victory. Give us victory over sin in our own lives. Give us victory over the forces of evil that we see so clearly in this world. And we pray that you include us in the final victory of Jesus Christ over all that is against your will. We pray all this in your name. Amen.